I didn't hardly sleep at all. <laughs> worried about whether I got this deer or not. But uh, we checked in the morning, and I'd seen some broken sticks, like maybe we had fell down in the creek, you know. And then I looked some more, of course, I found a speck of blood. And, and then we tracked it probably, I don't know, 30 yards, and then it was nothing. But, I mean, it was just a speck here, a speck there. So there really wasn't no blood to trail. And I told Alan, he said he heard something up in the woods in the direction it was headed. It was a real thick briar patch. And evidently she couldn't jump the fence and had fell down in that briar patch. But that's where I ended up finding it. I seen the rack on it. And, oh, man, I yelled at Alan. He come down and I thought, man, I just shot the biggest deer of my life. This is the biggest one. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 245. Doug Laird, the world's number one antlered doe. Support for the Big Buck Registry and the Deer Hunt Podcast comes from Hunter's Blend Coffee. Awaken your hunt with coffee purchased directly from farmers around the world, creating jobs and alleviating poverty. Hunter's Blend Coffee, we're hunters too. Polar Works Coolers and the Chill Zone, specializing in the most durable, reliable thermal cups and coolers. Keep your drinks hot or cold in any element. Black Ash Outdoor Products reduce your risk of tree stand suspension trauma with a tree stand wingman, the tree stand emergency descender system. Covert scouting cameras, remote cameras for hunting, wildlife, and security. Morse's Sporting Goods, a full line of sporting goods without the sales tax. And Big Buck Merch. You can get cool, high-quality Big Buck t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and hoodies. And show support for this podcast by visiting www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash M-E-R-C-H. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hi, this is Barry Wenzel from Brothers of the Bow and Trophy Whitetail Boot Camps. I'm not really sure what a podcast is, but you're about to push play on what is now my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, this is Bob Dumong from the Buckhorn Boat Dog, listening to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, this is Dan Infold from HuntingBeast.com. You're about to listen to one of my favorite podcasts, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, fellow predators. My name is Jay. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. For Dusty Phillips and Jim Keller and the entire staff here at the Big Buck Registry, welcome to this week's show. There are a couple things I'd like you to do for us if you could. If you would, please check us out on iTunes. Subscribe and leave us a review. With your help, we're going to try and push this show up the iTunes charts. I know we have a lot of listeners out there and I need you to take some action. I need you to leave a review and subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe, that'll give you access and notification each and every week that a new show is released. You can also access this show in its entirety on YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill. Go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. It's all right there for you to access on demand at your fingertips. Regarding the harness program, we have an ample supply of harnesses to give away from our volunteer donors. If you're in need of a full-body harness, please send an email to j at bigbuckregistry.com. 
Yes, we know this is the big buck registry, but when a 199-inch composite antler doe becomes the only Boone and Crockett doe on record, it's worthy. Despite this show airing originally on April 1st, this is not a joke. During the 2014 Missouri gun season, Doug Laird came within range of what he thought was the biggest buck on his property. Little did he know that his deer would become the only doe entry ever entered into the Boone and Crockett record books. We'll turn to our entire interview and commentary about Doug Laird and his world record antler doe in just a moment. But before we do, let's turn to Jim Keller for the deer news. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the deer news. Our first story this week, Action Alert. Join NDA and its conservation partners by opposing proposed cuts to CRP. This story is from the National Deer Alliance website. Senate Bill 2557, also known as the GROW Act, was introduced to the United States Senate by four members of the Senate Agricultural Committee. That would be Senators Joni Ernst, Chuck Grassley, Sherrod Brown, and Bob Casey on March 15th. The GROW Act significantly impacts the Conservation Reserve Program, that is the CRP program, and public access to lands for hunting. Most notably, this bill would limit CRP acreage to 24 million acres, an all-time low. The funding that would normally be allocated to the CRP program would be allocated to other programs under the Farm Bill. According to the United States Department of Agriculture, the long-term goal of the Conservation Reserve Program is to reestablish valuable land cover to help improve water quality, prevent soil erosion, and reduce loss of wildlife habitat. It's easy to see how a historically low cap on CRP acreage would have a negative impact on wildlife and hunter access. The National Deer Alliance, the NDA, outlines wild deer conservation hunter access as a key focus area. S.2557 directly and negatively impacts both of these priorities. As Pheasants Forever notes, the CRP program is the most efficient use of taxpayer dollars for reducing soil erosion, improving water quality, and creating quality wildlife habitat. Additionally, the importance of CRP for wildlife and that quality habitat open to hunting and interspersed throughout rural places means Diners, gas stations, hotels, and lodges filled during hunter season, Pheasant Forever adds. The passage of the GROW Act would result in a decrease in quantity and quality of wildlife habit, as well as a decrease in other important ecosystem services. It's astonishing that legislation aimed at further cutting critical CRP acres is being introduced at a time when the only discussion on the table should be expansion, said NDA President and CEO Nick Pinizzotto. It is important that sportsmen contact their senators today to let them know that this bill is a bad deal for wildlife and conservation. Join the NDA in opposing Senate Bill 2557. The GROW Act negatively impacts wildlife habitat, hunter access, and even rural economies. Write or call your U.S. senators and let them know that you oppose S2557 millions of acres of wildlife habitat depend on it. Reddit becomes latest social media domino to fall against guns. This story is from the Outdoor Hub website. Another social media platform has switched up its content policy to take a stance against guns. Reddit, which is a social discussion platform built around users creating their own boards, known as subreddits, announced the change to its massive user community in a post reading, Hello all, we want to let you know that we have made a new addition to our content policy forbidding transactions for certain goods and services. As of today, users may not use Reddit to solicit or facilitate any transaction or gift involving certain goods and services, including firearms, ammunition, or explosives, 
drugs, including alcohol and tobacco, or any controlled substances except advertisements placed in accordance with our advertising policy. Paid services involving physical sexual contact, stolen goods, personal information, falsified official documents, or currency. The post was instantly followed with several thousand comments, mostly negative and pushing back against the change. Included in those comments were an abundance of users defending a specific subreddit, slash r slash gun deals. It's ridiculous that you're lumping gun deals in with other subs that facilitated illegal activities, one Reddit user wrote. Gun deals at no time ever violated or attempted to skirt any laws. Everything was 100% in compliance with federal and local laws as slash r slash gun deals was simply just a springboard for coupons and deal alerts and all transactions took place off Reddit through the proper and licensed channels. It seems a lot of unhappy gun folks are already moving on from Reddit and have switched over to slash V slash gun deals. The move comes after YouTube made a similar change and enhanced its own content policies. <laughs> Budget would fund wildlife protection. This story is from the Peninsula News website and was reported by Melina Druga. The Michigan House Appropriations Subcommittee on Natural Resources recently approved a budget that would fund wildlife protection and promote recreation. Included in the budget is an additional $2.6 million to combat wildlife diseases, a growing problem in the state. This month alone, 57 deer tested positive for chronic wasting disease. The budget also will fund a study on the impact of water pollution, especially for PFAS substances, which has been found in dozens of communities statewide. PFAS has been connected to a number of adverse health effects. Representative Sue Allure of Wolverine stated, As the Department of Environmental Quality and Department of Health and Human Services begin taking actions to help communities affected by PFAS contamination, I felt it was important to include the Department of Natural Resources in researching how PFAS impacts the fish, deer, and other wildlife that might make its way to dinner tables around our state. Allure is chairwoman of the Natural Resources Subcommittee as well as a member of the Department of Health and Human Services Budget Subcommittee. A pilot program also would be created to maintain the state's snowmobile trails. The average snowmobiler spends $150 a day when riding and travels 1,500 miles annually. Keeping the trail system maintained will attract snowmobilers to Michigan, Allure said. The bill now moves to the Appropriations Committee for further consideration. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have any questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here is Doug Laird. Uh, Crockett. They said this is the only antler doe that is qualified for the, for the record book. I was hurt 20 years ago in a conveyor belt accident at Rock Quarry. Uh, I got my right arm and shoulder tore off, and uh, I've just been through a lot of medical problems. And I live, well, I pretty much live off of morphine. I take it every day, but um, other than that, I mean, I got my good days, my bad days. Where the farmer out here lives out here pretty close to me, and if I'm having a good day, I'll help him out. When I was probably 10 years old, um, my dad always hunted, and that, that was down around Warrington, Missouri, pretty close to St. Louis. But uh shot my first deer when I was 10, got a 10-point buck. Yeah, that's my earliest, my first doe, or my first my first deer. I've got a, a bow that is set up with a trigger on it. Um, it's come out of, out of Mississippi, I think they make them. But uh, I actually bow hunt. It's a regular compound. I, I can use a crossbow, but I'd rather use a compound. Hmm. That's what I've always hunted with. And uh, I've been able to hunt with it and took a... Took a doe one weekend and a turkey that same weekend. Okay. 
So tell so okay. So you you're you have a, a pain, lots of pain. You take, yeah. take morphine for it, but you still find a way to get out in the woods and hunt. Yeah. Tell tell me more about this bow. So you have a, a regular compound bow that is set up so that you can. It's just like any compound bow, but it has a trigger mechanism on it. How is that set up? Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually it's called a draw lock. It's the name of it. Um, you can, you pull it back. I step on it with my foot, and I pull it back, and it locks it. Hmm. And then uh, it's got a regular trigger release, just like you would a regular bow. Okay. And uh, it's got that rigged up with another rod that goes down to the handle, and uh, I can use my, my finger to trigger it. But otherwise, it's pretty much basically the same thing. Okay. A regular compound bow. So it's it's really like best best of both worlds when you're looking at a compound bow and a um, what do I want to, what do I want to say here a uh, crossbow really like it's a crossbow meets compound. Mm-hmm. I've hunted with a crossbow, but it's just it's not the same. Okay, you know, it's, I mean you you got your yardage is still about the same it seems like, but it just I don't know. It's a comp, you know competition isn't the same. I, I used to go to bow shoots and uh, with the crossbow you're not allowed to shoot the bow shoots. So I just I got that rigged up. Mm. It works real good. Okay, so you're able to to pull it back with with your feet and your your hands, and and then it's like yeah, with a, one hand. It's okay. got a spot down there where you put your foot. Okay, and uh, and it locks. You pull it back, and it locks. It has a safety on it. So gotcha. And then from then on, so you don't have to hold it back. Uh, you, no, it's it's locked back. You draw it back uh, before you get ready, and then actually, I can sit there and stand with it. I mean, draw back already. Right. Yeah, it's already drawn. And, uh, yeah, it's already drawn and like a crossbow. Knocked up with the arrow, it's ready to go. Ready to go. Okay, <laughs> so you never had to give that up. Uh, you found a, a way around dealing with the pain. And, and uh, which shoulder is it that that is out of commission? It's my right. It's my right shoulder. Okay. Uh, I mean, it took the shoulder blade. It took all of it off. Okay. There's no there's no stump or nothing there. But um, luckily, I was left handed anyway. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that helped out. So, how do you end up pulling the trigger? Uh, it's, it's kind of more or less like an arrow that goes down to the handle of the crossbow. Okay. And I, I take the safety off, the, off the, uh, release and then reach down there and I just get my sights on and, and pull the trigger and it shoots it just like a regular compound bow. So that, that, that's the mechanism. That's, that's how you mm-hmm. get, get by to get out there mm-hmm. and hunt. All right. So let's take us through this hunt i mean it sounds like you get in the woods a lot sounds like it's something that you you've figured out how to do despite your pain Mm -hmm. tell me about the hunting itself like what kind of terrain are we talking about where you usually hunt it's got it's more or less a river bottom uh typical missouri river bottom but um it's got row crops in it uh i don't know it's probably 300 yards across and then you got woods on both sides it's got a river running through it but um and we've got like we got five stands set up on this property and uh, had five cameras set up on it. So we pretty much keep track of what, what animals are running through it. It's it's private land. Okay. And uh, it's got a lot of deer on it. It works okay. good. Good, decent amount of agriculture that you're dealing with? It has row crops on it. Okay. Got the ground leased out. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, it, it's uh, leased out to farmers to plant there? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And Other who, than that, we... Uh, who's we? That's my, my friend. He's my friend, and they uh, they own they got like they got twelve farms now all together, and they pretty much all join each other. So the private land that is around there covers a pretty good area. Okay. And uh, they lease the land out, and other than that, they run they have uh, registered black anus cattle. Okay. And uh, so the rest of it's pretty much cattle ground. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So what's the strategy for hunting 
this land? I mean, is it a setup where you, you find where the, the, the standard setup where you find the deer, deer pass, you kind of know where they're going. You set up on a, uh, a food source, put a mm-hmm. hunting out of tree stands. Mm-hmm. We got ladder stands. Okay. And, uh, of course we got some a food pot by each one mm-hmm. and, uh, there's draws that they, you know, they filter through. It's not all wood. So, you, you know, you pretty much kind of know where the trails they run and, uh, it works out good. I mean, we just move around telling them what the wind's doing. Okay. After which stand we get in. Gotcha. All right. So take us through this hunt. What this this hunt of, of the world record antler <laughs> doe. When does this hunt start? What year are we going back to? It's uh two thousand fourteen. Two thousand and fourteen. Uh, it's about the middle of the season. Okay. It was on the nineteenth. Okay, set up the season. What's the season starting to look like? When did you get start to to hunt? And tell us about the weather patterns, things like that. What was that like? Yeah, we can. I mean, we, of course, bow hunting both seasons before rifle season, so we bow hunt it and get an idea of what the deer are doing. Uh, weather, as far as the weather, it changes every day. It seems like here in Missouri, so there's no such one reason I hurt so bad all the times. It mm. uh, seems like the, the weather changes kind of extreme. Was that doing, but pretty consistent for that year? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, what else you need? What else? So, what? Tell me about the the setup. I mean, you've so you, this is mid season. What does mid season mean? Does that mean the bow season's over? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's just rifle season. Okay, so you're, you've you've passed through bow season and mm-hmm. you're getting into rifle season, mm-hmm. and you're in a rifle zone. And mm-hmm. had you known about this deer before? No, I had no idea if she was there. I mean, we got cameras set up, and we have no pictures of her. I mean, we got some nice big rubs, so we needed a nice deer in the area. But, I mean, just pretty much basically your average size deer. Okay. All right. So you knew that the deer was in the area. You didn't, or you didn't know. You didn't know that this deer was around. You'd never seen it before. You had no idea. Yeah. But, I mean, the rubs that we have seen, well, they were huge. And uh, we knew that they looked like we had a you know, small egg, just a smaller deer around. I mean, there's some tens, but. We knew that they weren't big enough to rub on these trees. All right. So All right. we knew we had something big around, just didn't know what it was. <laughs> now, how did you know that? Well, pretty much we could tell by the size of the rubs. So they, and, this uh, this deer was rubbing? Well, yeah. I mean, she was hard-horned. Normally, does they won't rub their horns off. Okay. So despite the genetic malformation here, they mm-hmm. it was still acting buck-like yeah. with, with the antlers, where they grew hard antlers, they ended up, acting like a buck would when coming out of velvet and getting into the hardened nailer. Yeah, and I don't know whether that, it might be because she had horns that maybe these other bucks, you know, might have been fighting her. Okay. You know, and um, she was just sticking up for herself. <laughs> gotcha. Walk us through the hunt up through the end of bow season. What was that starting to develop like? What, was, what were some of the, you started to develop some signage. You kind of knew there was a, a big something around, which is, you would assume was a buck. Mm-hmm. Tell us about some of the hunts uh, leading up to the, the hunt where you actually made the kill. Mm-hmm. Well, the bow season was before, and I mean, we just, I didn't take nothing. I didn't really see anything big enough. We, we like to let, you know, the smaller bucks, let them go, get bigger. Uh, we kind of have a rule around there that they got to be a certain size or year. And like, when I at least get them at three years old or older. So, I mean, we, you know, we'll pass them, let them go. And we have pictures, you know, of a lot of bucks, but, um, I mean, it's got to be at least a 10 or bigger and it's got to have some pretty good size to it before we'll take it. 
Okay. All right. So you have some restrictions that you set for yourself between you and your friend. Anybody else hunt the property or is it just you? Just, uh, I said me and him, me and Alan is his name. Okay. And, uh, he's got, uh, he's got some brothers that, that hunt there and they've got kids. So, but there's plenty of land, you know, and we all make our plans before that day, before the hunt, what we're going to do and where everybody's going to be at. So we know who's where, you know, which way to shoot and which way not to shoot. But, uh, I mean, we keep it pretty safe knowing where everybody's at. Okay. All right. So that week, the week of the, the kill of the world record, though, what, what was going on that week? Um, I think it was opening season. I think it opened on a Monday, and this was on like a Wednesday, I think. Um, I had seen some small bucks hunting, but uh, didn't really see nothing big enough. I mean, there's the times, you know, we'd have five or six deer right there under the tree. But um, it wasn't anything big enough that, that we wanted to take. Well, that morning, it was... Um, Around 40 degrees, kind of windy, mm-hmm. and uh, I had seen some does that morning, and it got to be a little later, around 9 o'clock, and uh, it was cloudy, overcast, guys. And uh, I was in the stand, and I noticed that there was three deer coming down the, down the fence row, and uh, the first one, I mean, it was nice. That's the one I was wanting. But she slipped through and had a little, had a doe with her. And uh, then the eight point was behind him. He was kind of tracking him, sniffing, you know, on the ground. Mm-hmm. He's probably 60, 70 yards behind her. And uh, he stopped in the opening in the, in the shooting lane and uh, stood there broadside. I got the scope on him and, ah, dang it, he's close, but he ain't big enough. So I just let him go. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a real thick cedar thicket that they was heading to. And it's probably, uh, I don't know, 50 acres in size. And that's, uh, that's a spot the deer really go to the bed down. So we stay out of it altogether. During season, I mean, we don't, there's no humans go in there. We keep it scent free. Okay. And, uh, and it makes it pretty good, you know, pretty safe bet that they're going to be there. And, uh, they came through there and made it, made it through. I couldn't get a shot. So they went into this theater thicket and then they got to be around 10 o'clock. And, oh, heck, I'll get out of the stand. So everybody went to have lunch and we sat there and decided where we're going to go and where everybody's going to be. Uh, I changed stands because of the way the wind was blowing. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't far from where I was and I sat up for that evening and it was right before dark. I noticed there's three deer coming down through, through the cedars mm. and they come out into the field, probably 70 yards away and walked down the ditch. And then that's where she stopped and she had that little one with her again. And the eight point was trucking along behind, sniffing and tracking them. <laughs> mm. Well, she stopped and I got a shot and I couldn't tell if she jumped off in the ditch or if she fell in it. And then I'd seen her jumping up, you know, trying to get up out of the dish. And look, she got up out, and the little one following her. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's all I could see then, but the eight point came through, of course. And, and, uh, and then I sat there in the stand and waited probably about an hour. And then a minute, it's cold. She couldn't hardly see then. But I went down to check, see if I could find some blood. And there, there was nothing. I looked and looked at the flashlight. Alan got a flashlight and couldn't find no blood. So I thought, well, we just wait till in the morning, check it out again. And uh, we waited. I didn't hardly sleep at all. <laughs> worried about whether I got this deer or not but uh when we checked in the morning and I'd seen some broken sticks like maybe we had fell down in the creek you know and then it looks more of course I found a speck of blood and and then we tracked it probably I don't know 30 yards and then it was nothing but I mean it's just a speck here speck there so there really wasn't no blood to trail and I told Alan he said he heard something up in the woods in the direction it was headed and uh this is after I shot so I thought well maybe that might have been hurt thrusting around in the brush you know or something so he ran around Alan went around to the other side in case we jumped it up as I was looking for it 
and uh, he might get a shot at it, you know, if it wouldn't hurt that bad. But, I mean, right there, even where we was looking at along that fence, there was a fence, and he had just about stepped on it and didn't see it. Um, just a little after that, I was walking up to the same fence and uh, looked down, and sure enough, there it was laying in. It was a real thick briar patch, and evidently she couldn't jump the fence and it fell down in that briar patch, but that's where I ended up finding it. And uh, I seen the rack on it, and oh, man, I yelled it out. He come down and I thought, man, I just shot the biggest deer of my life. This is the biggest one. And uh, we drug it out, put it in his truck, and got it all tagged. And took it up to his shop and uh, went to start dressing it. Had it down there next to the woods. And uh, he run the knife down through it and I spread the back legs. And <laughs> he said, this thing ain't got no male parts. He goes, you shot a doe. Let's get out of here. He said, yep. He said, this thing is a doe. So I got it back there and I checked it all out. Sure enough, I mean, it had... It had the female part, but there was nothing between the legs. And then got to looking at it, it had the, it had the nipples, too. Hmm. I thought, well, he said, well, I got, we got to get a hold of conservation and have them check this out. So we got a hold of them, and they met us at the taxidermist. And, uh, of course, he came down. He took pictures of it and verified it was a doe. And the taxidermist hung it up and went to dressing it some more. And then them udders actually had a little bit of milk in them. You know, dang, this thing must have had, you know, had a little one or something here a while back. Well, it didn't dawn on me till. You know, a day or two later, I got to thinking, heck, that little one that was, I thought it was just a buck and a doe, you know, and an eight-point wanted in on the action. Well, that ended up being that little one that was with her, that was hers. Well, ain't that weird. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what it, it ended up being. So that's how we ended up tagging her out and got her mounted. Crazy. <laughs> so when you were scoping this deer, you thought it was a good size buck that you had been looking for. Yeah. I mean, that's the first time I'd seen her that morning. And, uh, we just, I mean, we knew there was a big one in the area and, uh, I seen her that morning. And then that evening she played out just like clockwork and came back through. Hmm. And there was some evidence that they may have had some offspring. Yeah. Evidently that one that was with her was hers. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't little. It was I mean, a medium size, you know, no. medium sized doe. Part of the family though. Mm-hmm crazy <laughs> so after so you called fish and game or the the dnr or whatever the missouri calls their um department mm-hmm. what did they say well they said that it's happened before it happens more than you think mm-hmm. well alan you had owns these farms out there he had shot one six years prior to this one and it was a seven point and it was also hard hard horned hmm. so i mean it I don't know if there's something going on in that area or what. <laughs> and it might have been the twin to this one. You know, who knows? Right. Wow. Well, he said evidently it happens more. I mean, since we got okay. Facebook now, you see it yeah. a lot more. Yeah. But I didn't, re- I didn't realize it happened that much. But they they weren't surprised. No, they weren't surprised. It was it the size of her, you know, and that she would hard-horned. But as far as it happening, evidently it happens quite a bit. It definitely happens in nature. We're aware of this, but to think that you shot the world record—I mean, were you did did it even dawn on you at that point that there was a potential for a world record doe here? Well, I didn't until Boone and Crockett said that they've never had a doe even qualify for Boone and Crockett, hmm. and that's when they, you know, I said, "Well, you've got it. You might have a possible world record here." So then we got to investigating it, and yeah, there's nothing that come close to scoring what she scored or even qualified for Boone and Crockett. Gotcha. And what did they classify it as world, world record antler doe? Mm-hmm. And B and C never yeah. had another doe like this 
No. No, they've never had one qualify for Boone and Crockett, no. Okay, that's insane. So let's pause right there. As we were talking to Doug, I got to thinking, what is the rarity of an antler doe actually being taken? So we turned to Lindsay Thomas Jr., the Director of Communications at the Quality Deer Management Association. It's very rare. Um, I talked to Joe Hamilton, who's our QDMA's founder today, about this, and, and he said, rare as hen's teeth was the way he put it. Um, it. It doesn't happen very often, and I looked up a little bit of information. We're talking about less than, you know, half a percent of, of uh, all the does out there that would have a condition like this. It's extremely rare. Most of them uh, are very small. Um, you know, we're talking about spike antlers of a few inches at best. Yeah, most of the time, you know, when this happens, and it's truly a, if it's truly a doe, because uh, you get you get all kind of weird combinations out there. You get true hermaphrodites that have both buck and doe sex organs. Um, you get bucks that don't have fully functional uh, sex organs and all the testosterone they need, and so they produce strange antlers that never shed, you know, these cactus type bucks. Um, but a true doe with antlers, if, she, you know, if it's a doe, um, and then these does that, that when this happens, many of them are still able to breed and bear fawns, you know, they're fully functional as a doe. Um, but what happens is they've got just a little bit extra testosterone in the system somehow, and it's just enough to start antler growth uh, and make them form pedicles and begin growing antlers, but it's not usually enough testosterone to drive the full antler cycle so that they shed those antlers or that they ever harden even um, and shed and regrow. It's just, so that's why most of the time these antlers are very, very small. You know, we're talking about, um, again, spike antlers of just a few inches. So, you know, to have achieved that, you know, that score is pretty impressive. The official score was 180 and seven eighths. Wow. The composite score was 199 and seven eighths. Mm. And according to Doug, the the reason that they thought there was a big deer in the area was that it was rubbing on trees. Well, it turned out to be this particular deer. It was <laughs> the doe that was rubbing antlers. Like it was t- becoming territorial. Mm. And uh, obviously, it must have had more than a small dose of testosterone, you know, in the system that was not only driving more antler growth than normal for a doe with that problem, but even, you know, in this case, sounds like pushing it to go through rut behaviors. And, you know, testosterone will do that. It's just the, if you get the, you need the right amount to make that happen. Have you ever heard of a situation like this where the testosterone was potentially as high as this one where you might have had a, a rutting doe, so to speak, in, in the male sense of the word? No, I have not. Like I say, I mean, what what goes on in most cases is there's something wrong usually with either the adrenal gland or even the ovaries themselves can begin to, uh, when something's wrong there in the functioning of those uh, uh, organs, produce a little bit of of male sex hormone, testosterone. And it's usually just a little bit. Um, So obviously that deer had some kind of issue that was extreme even for the rare, uh, extremely rare cases that we're talking about. Okay. Is there any evidence that the the offspring of this doe will have similar features, like it's a genetic situation? Not sure about that. You know, it could could possibly be. That's, a, I think, an unanswered question. Usually when you get these uh, problems with 
the glands or organs that that produce the wrong hormones, you know, that could be just um, uh, could be disease related, could be just a malfunction in the way the organ formed or could be genetic. So, that, you know, it'd be speculation to say to say that clearly it's something that's in the deer in most deer populations um, and sometimes happens. So, you know, you would tend to suspect uh, some type of uh, recessive genetic gene potentially. Would there be a situation where these are the animals as part of a culling of your herd, so to speak, that, that this is a specimen you would probably want to remove from the herd? No, it's it's such a rare thing. Even if it is um, genetic, shooting the deer would not in any way affect the prevalence of that in the population. Uh, so, no, it's that's not a concern at all. Um and like I say, in, in most of the cases that I'm aware of and have read about and heard about of does that have small antlers, they are true does and can continue bearing fawns. So it's just like, you know, you would treat her like any other doe in terms of whether you want to harvest a doe or not. Yeah, they when I did a little reading on this, they've scientists have actually, you can actually induce a normal doe to grow antlers if you just give her testosterone. And here's here's one more weird thing for you. And this has been done. If you take a sample of a but of the the membrane on a buck skull where he where his pedicles are or near in in that vicinity, scientists have taken that and transplanted it into their legs, for example, and forced them to grow antler pedicles on their leg. So that <laughs> you know the, the it's that that uh, skull material. There's some very specialized membrane there in a, in a buck skull, and even does have it too. Um, but it takes the t- testosterone. To, to make that begin growing. I'm Lindsay Thomas, Jr. I am Director of Communications for QDMA, the Quality Deer Management Association. And now back to our conversation with Doug Laird. But what are the bucks like in the area? I mean, if this doe can grow antlers to this caliber, what what's the quality of the deer herd otherwise? Well, there's some nice bucks. You know, we've got some pictures of some nice bucks, okay. um, but they weren't as big as she is. Now, the year prior, uh, Alan said he's seen a huge deer. Um, he said it was the biggest one he'd seen. And it was just on the edge of that cedar thicket. But it was like 300 yards away. He couldn't get a shot at it. But this is like on the last day of season. It might have even been uh, mozzaloading season that he's seen that. But he said it is the biggest deer he's seen. So it might have been her. Hmm. And the, the fishing game, they, they came out and they they had a uh, antlered deer regulation as opposed to a, a buck. Mm-hmm. So it's not not differentiated by buck and doe it's antlered versus no, it's just by horns it's, whether it's an antler deer or not is what they go by right right so yeah did they the seem surprised at all or did they just it was like yeah no big deal <laughs> well about the size of it they were okay you know and then uh but as far as it happening like you said they just it happens quite a bit gotcha we what? just didn't realize it i mean i don't think many people did until this facebook and everything and everything's on there and you can see you know what more what's going on yeah Mm-hmm. I think down another part of Missouri, uh, I think there was like a 25 point killed, but it was, I mean, it, you know, hadn't rubbed its horns off and it was just horns everywhere. Most of the time, a doe has got a pretty messed up rat. And, uh, right. That's just basically what they are, I guess, because the hormones, they don't grow right, you know. And, right, right. But for some reason, this one did. And you said there were, there had been other ones in the area, other hard antlered deer. Yeah. Uh, Alan killed a seven point. Okay. And uh, it was, you know, five or six years before this. But, uh, I mean, wasn't it? it was 
it had the main frame everything was perfect on it and uh but and it was hard horned it did rubbed his off too what did what did it score what did your deer score well uh buckmaster scored it 199 and seven eighths and uh Boone and crockett has got a different scoring system on them yep they grossed it at 192 and six eighths and then they had a dispute on uh, whether one they had a g3 on one side that uh, was inset just a little bit yep and uh, several scorers had looked at it and uh, they ended up calling it a uh, abnormal and uh, deducted it so then that uh, cut it down to 189 and the eighth gotcha all right so mm-hmm. <laughs> but still that's that's a monster buck in, in most <laughs> states right it's a big doe isn't it yeah, I mean, even even bucks that get close to two hundred are considered worthy specimens, no matter what. Yeah, my uh, the guy that scored this, uh, it was just after the drying period. It grossed uh, two hundred and four eighths, but then, of course, over time, you know, it shrank, and there were disputes about what it scored, and then and she ended up, you know, being down under two hundred. But dang it, it was one eighth from it. Buckmasters is one ninety nine and seven eighths. <laughs> a, a, a near. 200 inch doe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely insane. So we decided to track down the official score of Doug's deer, Dan Hollingsworth, who's an official Boone and Crockett score. What was your first impression when you f- first saw the deer? Holy crap. Um, <laughs> you know, especially it being a doe. <laughs> you know, I was, it's just a really, really big, if it was a buck, it would be huge. Um, I mean, it makes Boone and Crockett. I mean, it's the only Boone and Crockett in antler doe in existence, and that's just phenomenal, you know, because most antler does, I don't know how familiar you are with antler doe, but they do not get that big at all. I mean, they're normally kind of scraggly, and they got velvet on them, and they're not very massive, and they this does just not fit the bill for uh, looking like an antler doe. Because it was hard horned, um, but it was, you know, they t- took pictures and it had the, the tits and it had, you know, the, it was an antler doe. They, they had somebody come out and verify it. Um, and it just, it's 192 net. I mean, that's a huge buck or doe. <laughs> right. Did he, did, uh, how, how was that first conversation when he, when he first called you? How did that go? <laughs> well, he, uh. He told me he shot a big one, and he called, and he was all excited and short of breath, and he was, as you could imagine, I mean, anybody would be excited, and Doug's a great, great guy, and couldn't happen to a better guy. Um, <laughs> he called him back, and he goes, uh, Dan? <laughs> he goes, this thing don't have any balls. <laughs> of course, I just started laughing, and I, you got to be kidding. And I go, were they caught on a fence? And he goes, no, <laughs> I think it's a doe. And I said, no, you got to be kidding me. He goes, that's, is there such a thing? I was like, yeah, there's antler doe, but as big as it, you say it is, that's going to be really, really weird. And, and I wasn't expecting, thinking at the time that it'd be world record, but that's what it ended up being. Gotcha. Have you ever scored a, another antler doe before this one? Uh, that's a good question. I, not to my knowledge. Okay. No, I don't think I have. The scoring is the scoring, I would imagine. It's no different than scoring anything else. There's no, I mean, there's, yeah, it's G1, G2, and all, yeah, it's just scoring is scoring is scoring with the Pope and Boone and Crockett measuring system, so. Okay. Was there 
when you were feeling the antlers as somebody that has scored a lot of antlers, did it have any different texture feel? Did it feel lighter, yeah. not not as sturdy, or as just as solid as any of them? It's just as solid as any of them, man. They're, uh, they look like the normal. You know, they're, in fact, they got beautiful, beautiful color. Um, good, good veining. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about with that, but they got really pretty veining. They've got some dark color to them. They're just, they're solid. Yeah, they're just, it's a beautiful rack. Your, your initial impression was just like, wow, this is a big deer. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, like I said, if, even if it was a buck, it would be, you know, considered giant really. I mean, cause less than 1% of all hunters will ever get a booner. And for this to be not only a booner, but an antler doe, I mean, it's, you know, it's a world record for crying out loud. I mean, that's just a buck of many, many lifetimes. It's a, literally a freak of nature and it happened to fall on an unbelievably great guy. Now we'll continue with our conversation with Doug Laird. So what, what happened after all this chaos and realization after you realized what you had on your hands, what happened after that? Did your life change a little bit or do, were you known yeah. as the guy that um, shot the world record dough? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I mean, I didn't put it out there that much, you know, but, but, uh, it was like a year later before anybody even knew it. I wanted, uh, another score on it for sure. So I took it to the big, let's see, was it monster buck classic in Kansas? I took her out there, and then that's when Buckmaster, you know, of course, seen it then, and and uh, North American Whitetail seen it. So I've I've been putting both their magazines and uh, Rack magazine. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little crazy. <laughs> um, gotcha. Buckmasters in 2016 ended up giving me award, the Golden Laurel Citation Award, and I didn't realize, you know, how prestigious the award was, but. I took it down to Montgomery, Alabama, and at their classic, and uh, put her down in it. And man, it ended up being a pretty big deal. I was autographing rack magazines and all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And, and what's life like now? Do you are you still are you out there looking for the next large antler doe? <laughs> I'm just satisfied with that. Right. And I mean, I'll just I'll take whatever that qualifies for us out there on farm. Um, I don't expect to kill anything like her. Uh, I'm pretty satisfied just to put meat in the freezer. <laughs> so the challenge now is it's just back to life as normal. We, yep. Normal hunting seasons, normal everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Bass Pro is still, I'm still talking with them. They're wanting to put it down in their museum. So uh, we're still negotiating. She'll probably end up down there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, very cool. It sounds like it was a heck of a good experience. And certainly mm-hmm. surprising, to say the least. And uh, got your got your name out there as the guy who who owns the world record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty darn cool. Yeah, it's been fun, that's for sure. That's God cool. has blessed me. So, what's your what's your plan for the the next deer hunting season coming this fall? Well, I'm probably set pretty close to the stand I was in. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have our food pots. We'll have them all ready and get the cameras out. Very and, cool. Uh, see what comes through. Very cool. Excellent. So as far as your, your gear, uh, and your scent control, what, what, what do you usually get into there? Well, I just keep my, my uh, clothes in a, in a scent bag, try to keep the scent off and pretty much just play the wind. Okay. You know, gotcha. So you, you know where they're bedded, you know where they're going to try to go to eat and you, uh, yeah, and sometimes, I mean, we move crops around, 
and uh, we might change whether it's certain like put corn in the field we'll, we'll hunt the corn versus the beans and just move around with the crops gotcha and there's a lot of deer to pick from yep <laughs> and just just hunt the wind hunt hunt downwind of where you think they're going to cross got it mm-hmm. yep pretty standard setup mm-hmm. very good doug i appreciate you taking time to, to do that i've got 10 rapid fire questions for you here okay just to get to know you a little bit better What's your number one hunting tip of all time? I would say stay downwind and be patient. Okay. All right. Patience is the hardest part. <laughs> right. All right. What's that one thing that you can't hunt without? Like you get get to your stand and you realize you forgot it in the truck and it drives you crazy. What's that one thing for you? That would have to be my binoculars. Very good. Uh, yeah, I can't do without them. Yep. And I got to have something to lay my gun on. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, whether I'm sitting by a tree or in the stand with the rail, I've got to have something to lay that gun on because I can't hold it up. <laughs> gotcha. All right, very good. What's your biggest pet peeve in life? I would have to say not being able to hunt. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. That would bug yeah. me too. All right, how old are you today, Doug? Um, 55. 55. All right, what would you tell the 25-year-old Doug Laird knowing what you know today about life? <laughs> hmm... First part would be make sure you're a Christian. And then I would say treat your family as your, your priority. You've got to take care of your family. Excellent. Very good. You Let's say you're at a hunting convention somewhere in the world and a stranger comes up to you and they ask you what you do for a living. What do you tell them? Well, I pretty much got to tell them I'm disabled. Okay. I don't know from one day to the next how bad I'm hurt. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Coffee. Coffee. All right. you I get, like coffee. You get your own billboard on the side of a highway. It's a blank canvas. You can put anything you want on it. What would it say? Mm, it'd probably have to be a picture of her. Okay. Sounds appropriate. Yeah. Yep. If I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? That would be my wife. Okay. Yep. She is the, she's the one, the next thing behind God. Very good. Yeah. Good answer. You bet. <laughs> what, what's a day in your life look like? A day in my life. Well, I've got dogs. I got to take care of them. Um, I live on a farm. Um, pretty much take care of the farm. Raise a big garden. And, uh, got a nice lake, about a five-acre lake. So I got plenty of fish. Hmm. <laughs> and I got a beagle. I like to rabbit hunt. Very cool. Very nice. All right, then. What's a typical deer hunting day in your life look like? Hmm. Well, I get up in the morning. Get out there for daylight. Uh, I like it calm. I don't like it windy. But um, I know we got. I mean, some of the views we've got on that property are just beautiful. And uh, but that's why I'm one reason I like binoculars so much. You get such a, a good view of everything, and you can see so far as to where the deer. I mean, they might be, not be by you, but you can watch them across the field. <laughs> gotcha. Very good. Well, excellent, Doug. That's uh, that's the ten rapid fire questions. I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing the details of how you took down the the world's largest antler doe. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Great. Thanks. Nice talking to you, Jay. Thanks to Doug for joining us on the Big Buck Red Street Deer Hunting Podcast. There is certainly a once-in-a-lifetime situation. To think that a doe could grow antlers to the tune of 199 inches is mind-boggling. Never mind finding a buck that's 199 inches. That's that's hard enough to do on its own, but to find that could be the only 199-inch antler doe ever in the history of the record books. It's got potential. Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week? 
Yeah. Uh, the Chubby Tines tip of the week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morsessportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. Getting in the nick when food plots are just, uh, you know, just food for thought here that uh, your garden tiller can be a food plot piece of machinery. If you've got a way to haul it and you can get it in the woods, take your garden tiller out there. And, and if it's only a six foot wide strip and you can rip it a hundred yards long up through the woods, that's better than no food plot at all. So don't overlook that uh, gas powered garden tiller. Get it in the woods. That's a great idea. I've got one of those little uh, those little garden tillers I use for my little gardens around here. That thing tears it up pretty uh, pretty good too. It's not one of those big ones, but I can, it's very very mobile. Yeah, you don't have to get very deep in the soil to get a seed to germinate. So just take advantage of what you got already and take it to the woods and use it and uh, try to uh, be successful over a food plot in your woods. I think that's pretty good. You know, this is the type of rototiller I can strap on the four-wheeler and get out of here and go find something a little deeper where nobody's looking. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it's uh, pretty basic to get the soil turned over, but uh, that, that garden tiller you got in the shed will do it. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here in the studios with me? Uh, shoot me an email, Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com. You can look me up on Instagram and Twitter at ChasingAntler, Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Likewise, you can shoot me an email, Jay at BigBuckRegistry.com, and you can visit us on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash BigBuckRegistry. We're also on Twitter, which is Twitter.com forward slash BigBuckRegistry. We are also on Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash BigBuckRegistry, and YouTube, which is YouTube.com forward slash BigBuckRegistry. On YouTube, you can listen to all of our podcasts in their entirety. As far as videos are concerned, it's a boring video, but the audio content is there, so you can actually listen to our podcast. You can also listen to all of our live shows that we've done on Thursday nights when we do do them, and we've gone back and interviewed, re-interviewed a lot of our previous guests we had on the show just to put a face to a voice, let's put it that way. You can always listen to our show on other places as well, not just YouTube. We're found on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill, go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. And if you would like to submit a buck to our page for consideration and be featured on our page in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans, all you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck and all of the instructions will be right there. I think that's pretty much everywhere we're at. I think that's a wrap, Dusty. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Sure is. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>